Hello, everybody. We are brought to you today by Routine. When you sleep, you lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, mainly from expelling vapors and sweating. What do you do first thing in the morning? Well, most people wake up, don't drink water, and they go straight for the caffeine. They drink coffee. And by doing so, you actually dehydrate yourself even more. So Morning Routine is a product that contains half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. They come in these little single serve packets, and they are part of every single morning for me. When I wake up, the first thing I do is grab my shaker bottle, pour one of these little single serve packets in, shake it up, and drink it. Uh, genuinely, the days I use morning routine versus the days I don't, the days I do, I truthfully, truthfully, truthfully feel hydrated. Uh, I feel like my brain is just working in a way that it doesn't on days that I don't start my day off with one of these. Routine, trusted ingredients, made convenient. If you go to yourroutine.com and use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout, you'll get 30% off your first order. Again, this is just a daily morning supplement that I take. Um, and a little hack for everyone listening too, I take these first thing in the morning. Sometimes when I feel just dehydrated or maybe if you decide to have an alcoholic beverage, they're also great in my opinion after having a, if you have a drink, um, having one of these afterwards before you go to bed to rehydrate, just any part of your day, um, you can plug one of these in uh, just to rehydrate yourself and get going. And like I said, go to yourroutine.com and use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout for 30% off your first order. Today, we're also brought to you by NeuroRoast. Today's episode is brought to you by NeuroRoast, a company that's dedicated to helping you optimize your brain function and overall well-being. NeuroRoast's flagship product is their premium mushroom coffee, which is made with an organic single-origin coffee and their signature blend of five different functional mushrooms, including cordyceps, lion's mane, reishi, turkey tail, and chaga. Mushroom coffee is a new and exciting way to supercharge your day. Unlike regular coffee, which can cause jitters and crashes, mushroom coffee provides a more balanced and sustained energy boost, allowing you to stay focused and productive throughout the day. And with NeuroRoast ground and instant coffee options, you can enjoy the benefits of mushroom coffee wherever and whenever you need it. And here's some great news for my listeners today. NeuroRoast is offering an exclusive just discount just for you. If you use the code SHANEWHITE during checkout at neuroroast.com, dot com that's n-e-u-r-o-a-s-t dot com you'll get 30 percent off your order uh, whether you choose ground or instant coffee both will work so again that's shane white at at checkout for 30 percent off your purchase so if you're looking for a natural and delicious way to boost your focus memory and overall cognitive function give neurorose mushroom coffee a try with their commitment to quality and sustainability, you can trust that you're getting the best possible coffee for your brain and your body. Uh, and one last time, use that code Shane White at checkout to get 30%. Um, that is the prompt they gave me. Love the guys at NeuroRoast. Genuinely, folks, uh, from me to you, th their coffee is delicious. It does honestly have a different sort of caffeination way of it. The best way to describe it is it doesn't give you the jitters or the crash. Um, I love their stuff. It's the I get the flavored mushroom coffee, ground coffee. Um, to be honest, it's one of my favorite afternoon coffee products. 
uh, if I'm going to have a cup of coffee for some reason in the afternoon, whether it's a long, busy day, whatever it may be, um, I love taking their stuff because it really doesn't give you this like jittery, super elevated, caffeinated feeling, but you feel like you have energy and you don't have the crash later. So genuinely do love NeuroRoast. Again, their website is N-E-U-R-O-A-S-T dot com and the code is Shane White. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening today. The episode is up after this. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Shane White Show. Today's an exciting guest. Today we have Charlie Hart on the podcast. Charlie, welcome to the show, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. Big fan. This is, this is well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is your second podcast, right? This is number two. This or? is my. This is number two. I'm just you know I'm stacking them. I'm just you're I on, a get, I'm on a podcast tour. Yeah, yeah, you're I'm like uh, <laughs> ice cubes on an ice on a podcast tour right now. So there yeah, you go. You're just right behind him. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm on his heels, and and he doesn't yeah. like it. But well, you know, we're friendly in the arena. But yeah, uh, yeah. He, the, you know, I'll try and keep it political. But he and I have beef. <laughs> You're, you're on the Shane White show, and then hopefully you go to Joe Rogan next. Funny that's where, story. That's the next step. Yeah. I, funny story, and then we'll actually get into what we want to talk about. Um, I had Matt Frazier on here, the CrossFit yeah, superstar, yeah. and um, I was just one of those random. I DM'd him on Instagram. I couldn't believe I even got a response, let alone he said yes to coming on a podcast. And we did a three-hour podcast, which was absurd. Like it was so long, three hours, like with someone who I would I never thought I'd get a DM back from. And it was yeah. so funny because I posted the podcast. Uh, it actually, it's like the best one I've ever had, like from a downloads perspective. But then, like a week later, and he didn't mention this, obviously, he kept it private. A week later, he was on Joe Rogan. I'm like, that's cool because he came no on mine first, and then he Dang. goes on Rogan. You discovered him. That's what really? I said. Is that what, what I, you're saying? Yeah. That's what I told him. Yeah. That's Afterwards, right. I said, yeah. "You're welcome." <laughs> yeah, that's. I made you. I made, I made you. you. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. So I love funny. That. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. For everyone yeah. listening, um, Charlie is someone I've known for a really long time. So, Charlie, if you don't mind for people listening who don't know who you are, um, would you mind giving everyone just a quick background on you? And then we'll obviously dive in. You've done lots of cool stuff, but would love to just hear your little elevator Ooh, pitch on who you okay. are if you do that. Yeah. Uh, man, it's so funny you ask that because I feel like I'm having an existential crisis of who I am. And okay. like, I'm like in a point of rebranding almost, Sure. Uh, which is, you know, I think we all kind of go through that and, and we evolve in, in our careers and, uh, but I'll, I'll sort of set the foundation and then kind of where, where I'm heading from there. Um, what's my background? So I've been in startup world for a decade plus, uh, you know, that very well, because we worked together at, at RX bar. Uh, but I was the 10th the employee there when. We were sitting on crates and basically in a garage and had nothing, uh, not a lot of prospects, but, you know, a hope and a dream um, and got to be a part of that journey and, and that that um, roller coaster and, and eventually the, the exit that you and I both know so well to Kellogg um, and then built my career on really just helping companies figure out this little thing called growth. Um, how you grow a business, how you grow a brand, how do you be a part of culture, play with culture, uh, and hopefully at the end of that, have something to show for it in terms of profit. Um, so started a consultancy, uh, ended up going into um, a CMO gig for a company called Factor 75 and kind of rinsed and repeated with the strategies from RxBar and, and 
grew that and eventually sold that to HelloFresh, um, which brings us to present day existential crisis uh, sets in. I So now I work for, for Rob Deerdeck, which is, you know, the perfect blend, I think, of where my head's at. So honoring the background in marketing and business and growth and working with him on his venture creation studio, developing product, but then getting to play with this little itch that I've had for years around entertainment and how do you really shake and move culture through the lens of entertainment. And Rob is kind of this perfect example of somebody who has already blended those two business and, and media to become mm -hmm. a quiet mogul trying to change that. Uh, but I get to learn from him and, and watch him as he sort of crafts this next iteration of himself. And, um, Ultimately, that yeah, that's that's where I want to head as well. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Uh, you know, obviously we worked together at our X bar, and then it was funny. Like when you went to Factor seventy five, I truthfully didn't know anything about it. Um, and then I told we caught up a couple weeks ago, and me and my wife started ordering it at the beginning of the year when we had a baby just to like save time. And I just had yeah. didn't put two and two together until recently when we were talking. And I'm like, oh my god, I love this. I love their product. Like it's been Thank really, you for really your good. Business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get nothing. <laughs> no, all of our, but that's no, all of our friends and family are on it. So um, yeah. that's wild. It's just funny to know that you were behind that. Um, yeah. Let's back up though. I'd love to go back to even RX because funny enough, like we worked together at the time. It was like I remember I, when I got hired. It was just like I jumped in and, and went. I, I don't think I ever asked anyone who was an early part of that team. It, you know, never asked these questions or probably yeah. had the the time or energy to, but. What was it like when you got hired as number 10? Like, what was the business like? Give everyone listening just a little bit of a, like, what did it look like for Charlie Hart on day one of working at our X bar in that location with 10 people? Yeah, I, it was, uh, it was exciting. I mean, that, that's the, the, uh, cheap version of it, right? Like, I, I mean, coming into that environment, you have to understand for me personally, it was exactly what I was looking for. I mean, there, there's a different world where, um, I don't think you and I have ever talked about this, but about three weeks before I'd flown to New York and was interviewing at Gucci, which was oh, like whoa. the weirdest, like, you know, parallel universe that would have happened or could have happened. And just for the record, I don't know if they've changed this, but you go to Gucci and you expect like, you know, gold elevator and, and red carpet in there. And it's all sexy. Yeah. It is the most like boring office cubicle space that no i way. like in in yeah in uh in uh downtown right or in in new york um in midtown rather and it's like uh it was such a funny weird experience and, and got pretty far in that interview process and i was just like fuck this sounds terrible uh like so corporate and so you know tight and this was before um before they totally revamped with a new creative director and, and became Gucci that we know now, which is, um, you know, pretty, pretty punchy and, and part of culture. So this would have been, you know, the, the beginnings of that. Um, but it was between that and then, and I got a random call on our X bar and, uh, or a lead and followed that lead and, uh, joined that immediately. Like it was so obvious to me that this was something that, um, would be fun to do because mm -hmm. it was a start. Like I wanted to feel like I was impactful and, and could do something with the business and, and for the business. And, uh, you know, this about me, I, I hate authority. 
I, I hate people telling me what to do. And here's this beautiful thing where they're like, we don't know, like, we got to figure it out in, in real time. How do you do this and getting to discover that? So I think to answer your question, the, the beginning phases of that were so many trials and errors and just asking questions and not knowing the answers and, and just plugging in and trying to get things done. It was and it, just like that. Yeah. And at that, and at that time, Charlie, was there, um, like, I'm trying to think back at, at number 10, because I think I yeah. was number 60, maybe, which it, that seems like a lot more than there was, but there, yeah, I think I was number like right around there. Um, yeah. was there like, was there like legitimate, like, was your salary set up accordingly? Did you have, there was a health benefit plan. Was all that stuff figured out at number two? Oh, yeah. I think if I remember correctly, we had we had a third party that was managing all that. So, like, okay. uh, we had Jared had outsourced it. Nice. And uh, so there was a lot of contractors that were sort of floating in, in and out of the business. I mean, you you were the solve for, I think, having contractors doing the books and, and sort of yeah. the, the accounting side of things and realizing – well, that's not sustainable for for what we what we want. Um, I think we even adopted a few people from that directly full time. Um, but yeah, there there were. I think part of the result of feeling like it was chaos, but also controlled chaos, was just like Peter and Jared being very focused. I think they both understood what they wanted, um, and there was a very there was a lot of autonomy, but there was a lot of signaling on. This is what we want to do. This is how we grow it. And, you know, I mean, even at 60 coming into that, so much of, of it is just solving problems in real time and visioning and then going back and solving problems and then visioning like you're just constantly floating between those two states. And I would say like at, you know, the earliest stage of that, it felt like that on crack. It was just like constantly yeah. running up to problems and, and having to solve them. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, that makes sense. It's funny, even when I came in, because when, when did you actually, what was your, do you remember what month of what year you started? December of 2015, I want to say. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was November of 2017, so I was almost two years after. I didn't realize it was that yeah. long after you. Yeah, it was wow. crazy. Because yeah. when I came in, I mean, it was still the same thing, which is, it, honestly, you think about a way to scale an organization is pretty cool. Like, I remember that. All of them said the exact same thing to me. They were like, we got to figure it out. Here's your job. Yeah. Like, go figure it out. There's no playbook for this at all. Um, wild. I didn't realize that. So even two years later, that was still, which I think honestly is such a good guiding principle when you have, when you try to bring in people who you hope are smarter than you, like let them run, let them like mm -hmm. go figure stuff out. Right. Instead of like trying to like put them in a box and like, this is the only things you can do. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the beautiful things about a startup, right. Is, is the autonomy and the supreme nature of your decision-making capabilities. Like you get to identify a problem, you get to like come up with a solution. And then typically you're the one executing against that. And within a corporation, I mean, this is before I joined Hyatt or before I joined Rx where I was at Hyatt, and that is like the epitome of bureaucracy and multi-dimensional decision-making and democracy of uh, decision-making, which kills and suffocates a business, right? And so when you're in a startup, this is something I always tell people is like a startup is a dictatorship in a lot of ways. And there can be little mini dictatorships within the business, finance, marketing, you know, operations, but it's there's not time and there's not flexibility to be able to do trial by by jury, right? 
like there's not time to sit down and everybody gets their opinion and everybody jumps in and says, this is what we should do because you don't have the time. You don't have the resources to do it. And so there's this clear phase that happens within a startup that probably happened right around when you joined, where we had a multitude of people come in, you know, around 60 ish people is where it starts to, to really, you start to feel it dramatically. And all of those people joining this hot startup, they want to have an opinion. They want to have, you know, they want to be seen. They want to be recognized totally natural. But what you start to see is bloat in the decision-making process. And if you don't reel it in, then you have a lot of meandering and not a lot of action. So there's a lot of meetings just to define meetings, to define strategy, to never actually execute against anything. And I think RxBar did a really good job all throughout in maintaining people's autonomy and their decision-making power. But they're definitely, I don't know if you feel this, but there's definitely a point in which that flipped and it changed. And you start to get more codifying of systems and strategies, which is also important to a business. But that is a very shaky ground in that transition moment, which you were probably coming in right as that was yeah. happening. Yeah, because I yeah. think when I came in, it was every function seemed to have a, you know, a leader, like, right? Like you had Lindsay, we had Jim, yeah. and then there were like some there were like you and Forfar, right? There's like a, basically like a functional, what I would call like the actual operator day to day of that was reporting into the executive. And then I was a part of like the first real like team that was built below that operator, right? So yeah. like Forfar built a team of four. Um, and it was funny. I talk about this a lot. I, those times are some of my favorite times of ever just in my career as a whole, just like that, like kind of we were about to bust out of 225, like just, mm. you know, the first probably four months of me being there five months, maybe. Um, I felt like it was funny. Like we got to a, a, a number of people where what you're talking about hit ironically at the exact same time we went to a new office. I felt like yeah. with new, with like multiple floors moving away from this, just one floor concept where you heard all the conversations you could walk over, I could throw a piece of paper at your desk type of thing yeah. to being like, you had to actually go to a different floor to talk to a function that it was just like almost ironic to me where we went, we like bloated to a number of people where that what you're talking about changed, but ironically, we also had floors where it separated us. Totally, um, yeah. I, I felt that immediately when we moved. Yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting. You have such a physical representation of that that process happening, and I think in a lot of ways, it's a, that was exciting. But you did lose out on. We started to corporatize, which is part of the mm -hmm. process, right? That's a part of of growing into a legitimate business and maintaining that business is it becomes too, it's like the Roman empire, it becomes too big for you to handle on your own. So you have yeah. governors, you have, you know, uh, allegiances, you, you start to get crafty. Sometimes you even break the empire too. I mean, it, it's been known to happen, right? And you, you have a system of bureaucracy to be able to manage the sprawling and growing, growing empire. And I think you, you see this in startups often, the people who don't adapt to that, are the ones that usually leave early or mm. are fired early because they can't transition. They're, they're operate like they're doers, they're executors, right? They're the people that are like, fuck, I see a problem. I'm going to go solve that right now. But you can't do that in Rome. Like that has implications across the entire empire, much like it would have implications across all of our expire or any startup that's growing into that stage. So you have to learn a new capability or a new skill set of, of, 
being a little bit more diplomatic, a little bit more political in how you get things done, mm. um, which is, I think, normal. I think that's part of this, the growth stage. That's really interesting insight. I, uh, yeah, I, I still think that's probably one of the biggest things I could develop and be better as being a better manager. Like, I'm not a good manager, I don't think. If someone just asked me flat out, are you a good manager, Shane? I, you don't think so? No, I don't think so. I am what you just talked about. I'm, I'm, when I see a problem, I just want to jump in and do it myself. And yeah. my wife jokes with me a lot because even like as we're trying to build a team on on at Noble right now, um, that's probably like my biggest challenge is I've built processes. And so like giving that to someone and giving them creative abilities is honestly, it's like it's a, it's hard for me. I, I'm like, yeah. ah, I think I could just do it myself. I could do it better. And it's like, well, you don't have time to just always be doing everything. <laughs> so You know what I mean? That That's something um, even at RX. Yeah, I, that's definitely something I, I don't know if I really got coached on necessarily. Yeah. Um, it's something I'm working on even personally today. That's really interesting. You called that out. It's funny that my, so when I got my first promotion into being a manager of people, I'll never forget it. My mom, who's this, you know, corporate woman through and through like, you know, maverick, um, okay. very intense. Uh, you know, she was the breadwinner in my family to put that in perspective. Oh, I didn't know that. My dad was, cool. was stay at home. Yeah. So I grew up with a very dominant, like female figure, successful yeah. female figure. Right. Um, but she sat me down she's like, um, that's great. Like, congratulations. Um, you know, I want to just warn you right now, you are probably a terrible manager. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, you're probably a terrible man. You're a great executor. Like you are, you are a phenom. You're like so good at executing and doing things. You're going to struggle as a manager. And I'm telling you this now so that you can start getting better because oh. you don't want to wait five years to be like, shit, I am a bad man. Like, why is everything going wrong when I want it to be right? I'm, I'm just like telling them what I want them to do and they're not doing it, you know? Yeah. And it was some of the best advice I'd ever gotten. Because of course she was right. Like I, I was a shit manager to start and oh, okay. didn't understand the game I was playing. And this is so common, right? You become a great performer and you reach a ceiling and then the ceiling gets broken when you become a manager. So people pluck great performers out and they say, you're performing. I want to promote that. The promotion is you become a manager of people. And the hope is that you can manage those people effectively. Right. But that is a rare, rare, rare case. I mean, think about all the terrible managers out there and sure. anyone listening probably has one in their head, right? Like there are terrible managers that shouldn't be managing people because it, it is a skill set. Like you have to learn it. Um, and to your point earlier, it's like, I think it's something to develop it. I think management is understanding it's being empathic in a lot of ways, like understanding how people tick. It's the same things in marketing, oddly enough. It's ah, like, okay. how do I manipulate behavior to help the business succeed? And that sounds like a dirty word, manipulate. But ultimately what you're doing is you're finding strengths and weaknesses in people and you're exploiting them. You're, you're uh, pushing on them. You're helping carve the path away or carve the... Uh, runway for them to be able to just run and then get the hell out of their way. Like that is the best kind of management is allowing people to run efficiently and effectively with, I think, minimal guidance. Uh, and I think where people fail is I think good management and good leadership is asking the right questions. Like ultimately when you come up on the rungs of, of leadership at the highest level, like, 
your job is really to ask an important question and then allow your team to go to work answering it. And that could be, you know, how do we raise a profit? How do we, uh, you know, punch into culture? Why do we need to punch into culture? Uh, you know, your, your job is to be a why person and then your people become how people they help. Oh, that's build a out great way to think about it. Okay. That's at least it's you, worked for me. Yeah. Do you, do you have any, uh, for people listening? Cause I, this is something I'm going to take away from this today. Do you have any, you know, books, resources where you feel like are just good things to think about? I mean, that alone is really good to think about, but how did you kind of develop yourself as a manager? You know, I, I do have advice. I have advice for, for people that want to be a marketer or any kind of, uh, business person, go to therapy. Like, honestly, go to therapy. It's one of the best things that you can do for accelerating your career. And that sounds like a, an odd after effect of, mm -hmm. of doing it. But ultimately what therapy is, is helping you, it, it's helping you acknowledge and see your blind spots, right? Like, so this isn't my phrase. Someone said this to me, but I think it's very apt. Therapy is like someone reading your own book back to you and you're going, oh God, I sound like that. Like that's how I write or like that's, you know, it sounds okay. a little funky to you, yeah. but it's only in the telling of you from somebody else or, or the giving of that information from somebody else, do you start to recognize where your blind spots are? So I would highly encourage therapy for that reason, but also how, you know, business is people, you're, you're political in business, whether you want to or not, like business is political and politics is just interactions with humans and trying to collaborate and compromise. Like that's all businesses. Um, and you're reaching people to ultimately buy your product. I mean, you know, this is a salesperson, right? Yeah, sure. So if you don't have an empathic skill set that you're developing through therapy or, or journaling or whatever it is, like if you don't understand yourself kind of hard to understand other people and, you know, their wants, their needs and build that bone of curiosity of how can I advance this person or help this person with a the problem they have? How do we even know what their problem is to begin with? So that would be my, my recommendation, like above all else, um, in terms of books, I have to think about that one. I, I can't think of anything uh, off the top of my head. It was like, I mean, that's fantastic. What you just said, I mean, you, I, you know, it's funny, and I think it's becoming more accepted is going to therapy, which is great. I mean, I yeah. hear people talk about it constantly now. Um, I think it's huge. Me and my wife, actually, we used to do, um, he retired, but we had a, like a marriage counselor. And oh, like, so it was funny. It was one of those things we just, we started doing. It, it wasn't for like a specific reason. So beneficial. Like you, it's same thing, whether I'm sure is yours solo or is yours, you know, yeah. Mine solo. Yeah. 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 I, I'm um, sure they're like separately beneficial, right? Like, I mean, if you're like in a relationship or I've heard of people like co-founders going to therapy, like as a group together too. Yeah. It, it's just amazing. Like having someone who's a third party just to, again, they don't usually pick sides or anything like that. It's just it's what you just said is a great way to say it. You just, they read back your story and yeah. that reaction you had of like, Ooh, really? Is that, that's how I, that's so true. You're like, yeah. oh shit, maybe I do need to tweak some things, change my approach here. This is not coming off the way I thought it was. I think that's, that's a, I, I love that you bring up the, the marriage counseling because that ultimately for founders also great advice. If you have a team uh, or a co-founding team, I think it's so important to go see a counselor together. Um, there's a great story of the, the Reddit founders when they left, they 
weren't amicable. They hated each other. Uh, I didn't know that. Called back into the business. They, the condition that they set for each other is we won't do it unless we go to therapy. And they did, and they had a lot of baggage. I mean, I think they were childhood friends. Uh, okay. And they worked through it and and built Reddit, I think, stronger because of their, uh, you know, capacity to hear each other and, and build with each other. But like, it's startups are just managing chaos and ambiguity, and those are death traps for communication. Mm-hmm. And you have to set expectations and therapy counseling, they give you a sort of rubric for how to communicate and, and set those expectations. Um, and as I'm saying it, actually, there's a great book and it's a classic, it, Brene Brown's, uh, I think it's, it's not daring greatly, but it's a leadership one. Um, I think maybe it's even leading greatly, um, is fantastic for that and okay. helping you build language around the story you're telling yourself and, uh, you know, how to communicate with business partners, partners of any kind, romantic partners, uh, people that work for you, people you work for, et cetera, et cetera. Very cool. Awesome. Well, that's Thanks for the plug. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll find that and put it in the show notes. That's great. Um, to kind of swing to the end of RX, Charlie, cause I want to also jump into the other two things you mentioned. Uh, what was, so I guess, I guess when I, when I came in, there was obviously a lot of explosive growth. Um, then I always remember this phase and I, we talked about this the other, last time we connected, I always call it the, the iced tea phase. Like we're marketing. Mm-hmm. You guys just had this wild, really cool marketing campaign that you led where we actually had iced tea in our X bar commercial. Um, yeah. what was that like? And then ultimately I, I never actually talked to you about this, but like what, what was the kind of the inflection point where you decided that your time at our X bar was over and you wanted to leave? Oh man, those are great questions. The, the ice tea era, uh, so <laughs> let it be known from here on out is, uh, that's great. Um, I just always, I say that cause I remember you just came into that role. Like I, I told you this on our yeah. to connect it. It was just like, it felt so perfect. Like this is what Charlie was designed to be here at our expo yeah. for this moment. Cause it was just such like a profound time in our X bars history, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I just remember when we, when you guys like showed that at one of the all hands meetings, it was just like, okay, we're, we're we grew up We're I remember you said yeah, that actually, we're here, we're, we're here. here. We grew, yeah, you had a yeah. really cool speech you gave. So yeah. I always think I of those days that. as that anyway. Yeah, I, that, that was very, very personal for me in, in so many ways, because, um, one Wyden Kennedy, who I tapped for that project is like a dream case scenario. They're a Portland based agency. They're the largest private uh, agency, creative agency in the world. And they are, I mean, they have this amazing way of keeping people in a state of play to really come up with groundbreaking ideas that, that punch through culture. Like that's their whole MO. And I just, I've idolized them for, uh, for years and, and still do. They came up with just do it for those listening. They oh, came I didn't up know that. with open happiness, the uh uh what is it, axe or not axe, um, old spice, you know, look at your man, no back at me, no back at your man. That was that was their whole thing. Um they're oh, wow. so they've had some like profound, big brand, yeah. huge like remember. Pretty big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah just, <laughs> pretty just important. Just, just do, do it. It's okay. pretty pretty popular, uh, pretty well known. Pretty well known. Um <laughs> But they, they have a, a whole process for, for doing that. And I, uh, I choke that if I couldn't 
like join them or didn't have the courage to go there, I was going to hire them and, and like, you know, sneak my way in. And, and that's exactly what we did. So, you know, I got to play a really heavy hand in, in that, um, in that process and guide that process. And ultimately, uh, yeah, it came to this, the pointy end of the spear of, of the campaign. And for me, that was like just pure expression of creative energy flowing from RX bar and this idea of no BS. Like it felt like the maturation, is that a word? The maturation of, of what RX bar stood for, which was no bullshit. And if you could create a campaign that, that said that in a way that felt special and was punchy and sensational, like you hit the jackpot because the temptation I think at the time was if you had a health product, like, you wanted to go and, you know, for better or worse, RX bar is lean back on this. Like, um, I want to be healthy. Like I want a healthy bar, but I don't know what to do. Or like, you just start doing feature based ads instead of purpose-based ads. And for the record, you need both. But, um, I think this was a real moment for us to like plant our flag in the ground. Um, and it was really fun to be a part of that. Um, and was the culmination, I think of years of playing the performance game. Like we had done, that's something I'm uniquely proud of at, at RX bar was we were playing in digital and food in a time where that was just unheard of. I mean, there was yeah. no one on the shelf, uh, I mean, which is hard to believe now, if you go to a whole foods or Erewhon, I mean, it's just insane, you know, as well. And CPG, yeah. it's just crazy how many products are there, um, and how easy it is to manufacture now. But at the time, I mean, it was a nascent space and no one was playing the the performance game with food. And, and we really got to be leaders in that. Um, and I think what's fun is we kept changing the rules. So when we did digital, then we started doing TV and, you know, uh, just kind of kept building up to doing more provocative brand based things. So, uh, man, that was a. That was an era. That was my Vegas years. I feel like I was like Vegas was years. In Vegas, oh you know? yeah, like we had main stage. Um, yeah, th- those for were sure. those were wild times. Um, Hopefully, there's some I, good photos somewhere. Are there photos oh, anywhere? Like just good, like from those. There's got to be great ones. I've got yeah, one, just yeah. a couple with Ice T on the Paramount lot. That that one's oh, fun. that's cool. Um, you have to send me that one at some point. I've never seen that. that. Yeah, I went to New York actually when we launched the campaign. I went to New York and we had a bunch of billboards and I have like all these photos from, from going all over New York and, and snapping them in the wild, which is so a fun. pretty crazy experience. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. I mean, like that's such a cool thing about what you guys were doing. And I mean, so different with marketing, like you guys built something that is out in the wild, right? Like you got to actually see the fruits of your labor out, out totally. there on billboards, for example, yeah. TV. Yeah. It's a big one. And so then we, you did that and then, yeah, we never talked about it, but what, what was kind of, what was the reasoning then where you were like, okay, I think it's time for me to do something else. You know, I, we had sold the business and there were, I mean, I think I can say this. There were a lot of conversations yeah. at, at the top level around, uh, you know, transitioning out because it just we knew the writing was on the wall. It made a lot of sense for Kellogg to integrate RX bar into the business. Um, and for me personally, like that's going back to Hyatt. Like I didn't want that. I didn't want to get back into a corporate log that was slow to roll. Um, I wanted to be in break speed, you know, 
all autonomy, uh, all decision-making power, going back to my little authority complex. Like I, I didn't want to go back into a rule-based system. Um, that was even more rule-based than where we had landed the ship right at the end of arcs where it had become very bureaucratic, which was right. totally fine. It was necessary for what the business called for, but you know, I function best when I'm, uh, dethroning. I don't like, you know, I don't want to sit on the throne and be like, we did it. And then just be like here forever. It's yeah, really fun yeah. doing the coup and, you know, breaking the industry and going like being the underdog is, is got the, the heat for me. So that was the decision. Okay. Yeah. Totally. I totally understand that. Um, and it's funny. I, I said this on here before publicly that the me being so at that time in my career, uh, and I don't know, I guess I wasn't that young in my career cause I'd worked at a few different places, but, um, I was so blind to what was happening at the highest level. And it's funny. Like I, I, you know, I worked directly with, you know, a lot of people at the top and I, I just, yeah. I don't know. I think I was just so, I think I just genuinely drank the Kool-Aid in a good way. Like I just, I loved what we were building, even though we, you know, it was already at the exit point. Um, I'm, I probably stayed on a little bit longer, but honestly it ended up benefiting me in a different way. Just like the ability to, to do what I'm doing now. But, um, it's, it's wild you say that because I, I think I was probably like a level below where a lot of those conversations were happening. Um, mm. so I just probably wasn't privy to some of it. And yeah. I, you know, now in hindsight, it totally makes sense when you and some other people left, like very obvious now to me, right? Like yeah. it just, it, it, it had changed. Um, no, but that's really cool, man. You really left your mark. I, I can say that genuinely friend to friend here. Um, and then you leave. Shit. So how long were you gone from our X bar before you went to factor 75? There was a, there was a little bit of a gap there, right? You took some time. There was travel, I remember. Yeah, yeah I, I, I set out uh, and did my my little eat, pray, love moment and went out to I traveled the world uh, yeah, like almost I immediately. This. I did a trapeze class actually the day before I left, which uh, was exciting. And I'd never done that uh, before you left our X bar. You did this? No, no. Before I left for, for my world travels. And I'll say oh, okay. this. I'm trying to work trapezing into an analogy and I don't have it dialed, but I'm just going to, I'm going to slump my way through this. Is I mean, you when, tried there. That Well, okay. So I, I went to this trapeze class thing, right? And where do you have a trap? Where is a trapeze class? At, this right? was in Chicago. This was in the, on the North, uh, East side, I think. I mean, it was like, out oh, of Logan, so maybe. Funny. And it was this massive gym and you go behind this curtain, there's this huge trapeze set and you walk around the corner to see this. And there are people doing full on, you know, catching each other in the air and then flipping and then doing flips and dropping. And you're like, okay, that these are pros. There's no way yeah. we're doing that. And we gather around this, you know, Jack dude. He's like, all right, uh, we're going to do that. I'm like, oh <laughs> shit! There's like no way. You're There's like, where's literally the intro no way. class. I'm here at the to, black belt class. <laughs> exactly. But this is where I think the I don't have it dialed. But I think there's an analogy here. Is like piece by piece, they taught you how to do each step individually. So it was like all you have to do: climb the ladder and then drop. Okay. Now you climb the ladder, drop, and then we're gonna catch you. And then you climb the ladder, drop, catch you. Then you're gonna let your arms out. Like they just did it such in a perfect way. By the end you're doing all kinds of flips and turns and Whoa. all this stuff and you feel so accomplished because you're like, I, that was so terrifying. And I came in 
but it's, I think a lesson in like, you know, if you want to do anything that looks challenging, you, you just break it up into little pieces and, and slow step your way into it. And that is if you tried to do analogy. that right off the bat, you'd just be totally dismayed. You'd be like, this is terrible. I'm terrible at this, but it's, it's um, funny you say that I, I said, yeah. I'm such a big believer in that. I talk about it on here constantly, like even getting the pot, this podcast off the ground. I remember like the thought of like starting anything at that point in my life was so yeah. foreign. And then I remember, I, I don't know why one day I was like, why don't you just try to put out an episode for 30 days in a row? Like it could be the dumbest thing. It could be by yourself. Just like put something out. Cause I've never been a creator. I've always yeah. wanted to be. I realized that when I started this and then I did it. And I remember looking back, I'm like, oh, I put 30 episodes out. Why couldn't I put a hundred out or 200 out? Um, it's funny. So I, I, I definitely I resonate that. with that. And, and I've done it now. I do it with kind of like any big project or, you know, in the business endeavor or whatever it is. It's like, I love that. It's like, yeah, just one day at a time. Just do a little bit today. Do a little yeah. bit today. You stack enough days in a row, enough weeks in a row, enough months in a row. And you usually get somewhere. I think that that is probably one of the most important lessons of, of life and certainly mine is the way compounding works and how sure. little tiny things build on top of each other that are naked to the eye mm -hmm. uh, until you you reach a point of um you know critical acceleration yeah and i think the the easiest way to do it it's so dumb i like when i had the realization i was telling a buddy of mine i was like i'm mad at myself i didn't do this earlier because there's a multi-billion dollar industry of self-help books movies podcasts telling you to do this time block your calendar like it's so simple it's okay. so okay. stupid to like just be like okay if i put time on and i put a little i use a little um the pomodoro method thing here oh yeah right? nice. so you like you know time block in uh, oh, whoa, that's cool. Wait, that just turned red when you turn that? Yeah, so you like, you do, it's really simple, but you time block and when it's done, it's done. And you, you just, you know, you move on to the next task, but it keeps you really focused and, and in flow. For oh, me, I love that. In that time. But I also put it on my calendar, right? Like, so I literally have my three hours of, from waking up to three hours later blocked everything that I'm doing. And I find that it relieves the pressure to, I'm doing creative work in that, I'm doing focus work in that. It relieves the pressure of building up to like, oh, I gotta like write this thing or I wanna write. It's like, you, all you have to do is show up. That's mm. like the hardest thing. And yeah. then once you're there, you're like, I'm here for an hour. All I can either sit and stare at a screen or I can write. And those are the only two options. Again, this is not my, I am not a prophet here. People have been saying this for years. And I just failed to listen. I failed Wait, to do I, it. No, I really, really want to, I want to dive into this because this, this is like, this is so what I obsess over constantly. Yeah. One, so one initial question I have for you, and I'm just going to flash this up to you. I, and there, I know there's a flaw, um, but uh -huh. the thing that I talk about, about daily, like what I was just talking about with like one step at a time, day by day, I had yeah. a buddy recommend this to me and it's, it's, it's funny. It's just called a full focus planner. I don't know if you can really see it. It doesn't really say something. It's yeah, just basically okay. like each day, I mean, you're not going to see this at all. Uh, each day it has essentially like, what are your big three tasks? Yeah. So like if you had to only get three things done today, what would those be the most important three things be? And then there's room for more below, but it really builds. Cause like the, basically the front is you put in what your yearly goals are, like your annual goals. And then right. each week it kind of has a prompt for you to walk through like what basically like, what are your big three things for the week? And so like for me, every morning, it's like a little process where I look through like, okay, 
goals to weekly priorities to like shit done today. And, it was, yeah. and what I started realizing is the end of, even if it's just five days, like it's 15 really important things that I made sure I got done instead of mm -hmm. just fire drills. Like, cause things yeah, are coming yeah. at you all the time. Um, yeah. but the flaw with like, this for me has been, I think, crucial to getting the podcast and noble off the ground, all these things. Cause it just, it just helps me take a bunch of jumbled shit that I know has to get done. And it like makes me prioritize on paper. But yeah. what I love about time blocking, I've always, I've used it. I, I mean, I use it all the time. I do time block. I'm not good at when I time block the times get fucked up and I either something took too long or it was too short. Um, and it like throws everything off. So how do you, how do you maneuver that component of time blocking? Cause to be honest, what I've found is when I overdo it, so it's like too specific, like, like the whole day is just like, bam, 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 bam. There's all this mm -hmm. shit I got to get done. I, I tend to, if anything gets thrown off and I'm like behind or I miss one, then I get like, I, I don't want to say overwhelmed, but I kind of get like stressed and I'm like, shit, now I got to spend time. And then there's been days go by where I feel like all I did was recalibrate my time blocking. So do you ever run yeah. into that or, or, or do you oh, maybe yeah. just I, do I, big that's, blocks? That's part of the process I think is, is how do you optimize this? This is actually an area where Rob has been super impactful on me just in the short time I've, I've been working with him is, I mean, he has things time blocked as well and we'll have like big chunks of like flex time that he'll okay. use to sort of recalibrate. But the thing with Rob and that, like, this is where the real lesson came in or insight for me is like constant iteration. Like you're just constantly optimizing, like that thing took too long. Okay. I miscalibrated how long that task would take. So I need to add 15 minutes of, of buffer time to it, or that thing didn't take me that much time at all. <clears throat> I can drop that down to 20 minutes. Like you're, you're constantly in tune and in check with yourself so that when you inevitably miss a mark or go over or go under, you're not punishing yourself. You're excited. You're like, oh that was great feedback. Like now I know I actually need an hour and a half to do that thing. I think that it depends on the task, but what I found with creative tasks, like really heavy, you know, brain powered tasks is if I'm doing a project that takes, you know, is, is more than one sitting session. If I stop myself at the hour mark and I work unfinished, but I know that I'm going to come back to it tomorrow to me, that is like the creme de la creme of, of uh, blocking your calendar. And the reason is when you leave, you're like, oh, I don't want to tear away from this, but I have to. I'm going to force myself to tear away from it. Oh. Now my brain is working on it in the background all day long to the point where I'm like, ooh, that'd be interesting. Like just kind of these little bursts. And then I get so pumped to, go, to jump in the next day. Like I know exactly where I left off. Like, you know, I'm all in on it. Neil Gaiman, I think said this, I, I'm pretty sure this is him. Um, never finish a chapter in a time block, essentially. Like don't finish a chapter and walk away. Always like have, Neil Gaiman's a, a writer, wrote a bunch of books. It's like always like write a little bit more into the next thing and then split because you, when you conclude your brain, it, you're done with it. It's finite. And then you have to do all this work to come back to the creative space that you were in when you, when you left the book. So that's a, a little like deep track trick, I guess. Okay. So if yeah. it's not something that I just want to make sure I, I walk back and understand this. So if it's not something for example, that's due today. Like you have a client right. or you have something for Rob that like you have to get done today. If it's something that's more creative, open-ended, 
I get that. You would like cut it off. That's a really cool idea because I definitely have some work like that. What about things where it is, you know, I say urgent, but maybe there's probably too many things I call urgent um, yeah. that I just want to get off my list. How, how do you think about things where, let's just say you you gave yourself an hour and then you're an hour and you're like, shit, this is like a two hour thing. You kind of just, it's, yeah. again, is it just kind of feedback and you recalibrate and you find an hour you somewhere else? You just have to recalibrate. I mean, that's it. You just have to, it, it's all about managing where that sits on the rest of your calendar and how it how it butts up against the deadline that you have for yourself. Like, uh, I think it's it's okay if it, I put an hour, but it takes two. Part of the question is like, is it going to take two? Or is this a task that I'm repeating every week? And is it going to take two hours every time? Or am I plugging in a little bit of compounding there where, you know, over three weeks, I'm going to get that down to an hour. And that's my goal. So maybe for the first three weeks, I plug in two hours, but I'm learning and learn, I'm getting faster and faster at that task, whether it's, you know, strategy or, you know, all new things take a while. And then the goal is to like, how do I get it down to as the, you know, the most efficient time as, as possible. That's love it. what I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, th this is, this is really organic. I love this, Charlie, because the, one of the questions I always ask towards the end of the podcast is just like tools you use essentially to get shit done, hit goals, yeah. get your, get your thing. So obviously time blocking is a big part of you. And I know I, I, I told you on our last call, I know I've listened to some stuff Rob's put out. Um, what else do you use? So like time blocking makes sense to me, but I, one thing that's always overwhelmed me and, and again, whether this is a good or a bad thing, I think some of it's inevitable when you're building a business, but like my, I have like a, a Google sheet, for example, that's kind of like a dashboard of just like all the shit that needs to get done at some point, someday. And it's all organized, yeah. super over, probably overly done. <laughs> um, what do you do? Like, cause obviously like for me, what I always think about is like time blocking, when I do time blocking, I typically do it like a day in advance. So like tonight I would time block for some things tomorrow. Um, mm. If there's things that are like reoccurring, those are always on my calendar or like, I'll try maybe to do like, I know for me, I have like an advertising block in the morning first thing, just to kind of like looking at data for me first thing in the morning is always helpful. Um, how do you manage like being a CMO for someone like Rob, where I'm sure there's just like a thousand things that are probably floating in your stratosphere to then putting that into the calendar. Um, do you have a good clean process that you've developed for that? Yeah. I mean, for me, what I do, so I, I have sort of a waterfall, right? Like I'll have my quarterly goals and those goals will have um, immediate steps that ladder up to it and then assigned people to it. So like I might be collaborating on it with a colleague or someone who works for me is owning it, but it, I need them to get that piece done to get the stacked piece that's on top of it done. So like they understand that they're part of this whole apparatus that needs to come together to get the thing done, which gives them skin, skin mm. in the game. Like they own that piece. Like there, there's, I'm giving just guidance on that, but like the overarching thing, like, you know, develop a Q1 2024 book launch strategy, like has all these components that, that would go into it. Right. As an example. Um, so I start for that, there. Charlie, do you have a, do you have a tool? Like, do you, what do you use? Do you have like a software? I just do something Google. Use for that? I do, I do Love Google it. docs yeah. and I, I have like little checklists and we plug it into Monday. I'm not a huge proponent of Monday. Like I, I'm not the most like, it just doesn't work for me specifically, but I know people find a lot of value in it. The problem with things like Monday and Asana is like, if the whole org isn't bought in, uh, and if you as a leader aren't bought in, then no one's going to actually use it. So you really need to like ingrain and indoctrinate that system. 
And I mean, once you do, like I use it, right? We, we use it for task management. It becomes a lot easier to, to uh, you know, you get over that kind of the hump of annoyance uh, okay. and start using it. But yeah, that's typically where I'll start. I will also do, like I'll have, my morning is the same every single morning. And that ritual for me is the like the perfect foundation to get everything else done in my day. Like if I don't have that, I'm a very ritual oriented person. Like it, yeah, it just sets me off. Like it doesn't, I don't feel like I have the control, uh, for the rest of the day. I have to recalibrate. Right. Um, so that's sure. important too. Yeah. I, I love that. I know for me, that's been like the curveball this year with the baby is I have like a ritual. Oh yeah. But if he decides that, Hey, yo, today I'm getting up an hour early, then my yeah. <laughs> just throws everything off. So that's yeah. been actually a good lesson for me is I've, I was such a ritual person and I still am for sure, but he's definitely made me be a little more malleable and try to be a yeah. little more flexible, which has probably benefited me. I was probably a little bit too rigid. Um, yeah. Really cool though, Charlie, because the time blocking thing, um, I, I know a lot of people that don't do it. And I, again, maybe what you just said, I'm going to try to adopt that actually, like just the use it as feedback and be positive. Do you, do you then like track anywhere where you, that feedback, or is it just kind of a thing where you're manipulating as you go and just inevitably you're changing and tweaking things depending on how it actually performs? Yeah, I'm doing it more organically, but uh, I'm trying to move into a system where we quantify it and, you know, maybe a little sneak peek here, but that there's elements of that that I'm working on with Rob right now for a, a more Very consumer cool. facing model of it. So, uh, Ooh. And, and I think that would be, you know, we were pretty bullish on on the potential of something like that. So I, I won't go too deep into it, but that is yeah. Uh, well, if you need any beta testers, you, you know a guy. I would I would oh, be I know exactly absolutely floored to. to be a part of that. <laughs> I would geek out so hard at something like oh, that. We got to do it. We got to do it for real. That's no, amazing. We'll, we'll yeah, no, for real. I, I would be yeah. I would be the biggest advocate. I've joked with my wife. I said like if. It's funny you said that, like, there's got to be just billions and billions of dollars long time ago that was available for this type of stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, my calling someday will be to help people be more productive and hit and like, like, even just to put goals down on paper. Yeah, because I've realized for so long, even even all the way through my RX bar career, I just really didn't have like goals. I, I genuinely wasn't like a goals person. And just even I was really using this, to be honest, because I remember when I got yeah. this, the very first one, I was like, what are my annual goals? And I'm like, and looking back now, it's hilarious. Like they were just so like airy, weird. Like there was no real, there's nothing to track, no nothing tangible about them. Yeah. Just the process of like having, I always say like having a rudder, like that you just know when you wake up, there's things you're you're steering towards. Is such yeah. a game changer um, versus just like, like so many people just float day to day and they don't oh, yeah. have anything they're going towards. And now in hindsight, I'm like, oh my, I don't know how, I don't know how I, I did that, that for so many years. Yeah. It's in like skill, it's a skill set, right? It is building a good goal and mm -hmm. changing the goal, being malleable with your goals as you evolve into them too. Uh, yeah. But it, it's, you're right, it's, it's being rudderless. It's like swimming in, in pure ambiguity. And that is just like the worst feeling. And if you as a leader are not setting that, and your your ambiguity is a virus. Like if you're not setting it at the top level, it spreads. And what it, its output, the symptom of ambiguity, is atrophy. Right? Like mm -hmm. people 
don't, well, they're at, they become apathetic. Like they don't want to move and they get comfortable in, in zero change and, and they're longing for purpose, but then also they get comfortable with like not really having anything solid, you know, and, and so you get this weird mix of, um, of anti-progress, but like feelings of, of not having any purpose or fulfillment. And you, like, as a leader, you have to shape that. You have to shape what the goal is and, and be the, the biggest cheerleader for it. And I think like, as a, as a creative, um, people that are, have that, that bone in them, there's this perception that rigidity will be at a disservice to your creativity. And from all of my research on it, I mean, you, you talk to literal athletes, like, Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, and I use that word deliberately. He is a literal athlete when it comes to his creativity. You, and there are many like him, like you need to create structure for yourself in order for you to thrive and to focus. And this is a, um, Ogilvy quote, which I think I've got a, his book on advertising here, which is great. Oh, love uh, it. Yeah. He has this quote and he's like, give me the freedom of a tight brief. And for anyone that's worked with me, they know that's my, my rallying cry is like without parameters, without tight parameters, anything is possible. And that's actually a death trap for any kind of creativity, whether it's strategy, whether it's fi anything, finances is, is a part of a creative process, right? So having tight parameters around your rituals and the way you show up and the goals only gives you more room to play and, and grow into and evolve into it, which seems like an oxymoron, but trust me, it, it's part of the process. So cool, man. No, I love that. That's really, really cool. Um, Charlie, I think I could talk about this forever, but we are, we're getting close to the end of time here. I'm here. You're a busy man. What is the, yeah, yeah. for one of the other questions I love to ask at the very end, Charlie, is just a source of knowledge. So for everyone listening, maybe that book, what you just pulled up is the one, but do you have any, a book, a podcast, just anything that has sparked your imagination recently that you'd love to share with the audience? Oh yeah. Well, I've got two. I'll give you two. One is, um, Yuval Harari's Sapiens, I think is Ooh, okay. one of the greatest books you can read on humanity and mm. it will have direct impact on the way you think about business, how you think about culture. It's probably one of the most impactful books to come out of the last 15 years. Um, so I would highly recommend Yuval Harari. Um, and then this one's a little bit of a curveball, but he just died. So I, I feel like I, I have to say it, uh, Cormac oh, wow. McCarthy is one of my favorite authors people know him from the road and from no country for old men Ooh, but his yes. magnum opus is this book called blood meridian and it is a hard hard book to read but it is beautiful and sweeping and has everything about humanity wrapped up into it so again if you're trying to reflect on yourself the world how to do business. I mean, all these themes you can find in, um, in his writing, but Warren, I mean, it's very bloody and brutal. He's a brutalist, yeah. but, uh, okay. it, sure. it, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. Awesome. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah. We will, uh, we'll add those to the show notes. Those are great. And then really the last thing to the last departing thing, how can people follow you and, and, get, and basically learn more about what you're doing and building with Rob? Yeah, um, you could follow me on LinkedIn, um, which is probably the, the most active space. I don't really go on, on Instagram anymore. Um, or, you know, check out my, my website, which is um, signandsapien.com if you want to reach out to me directly. Oh, nice. Um, 
but yeah, those are probably the, the two places. Beautiful. I will, uh, I'll link both of those in the show notes. Well, Charlie, thank Amazing. you so much, man. I really appreciate it. This was really fun. It was cool to just dive in and learn more so about fun. your, your story, buddy. I, I really didn't know some of that. So yeah, I loved it. Always a pleasure. Happy to do it.